Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're tonight's entertainment. Look at my butt. Now look at my front butt. Magneto's right. There's a war coming. You sure you're on the right side? He was the bass player. Yeah. 
He was the one of the only one of the monkeys that went full hippie. Yeah, he, well, they all had a little bit of that in them. No question. Yeah, that's but, why yeah. I said full hippie. Let's see. Mike yeah. Nesmith was Mike Nesmith. He was like a mad genius. Uh, what's his name, the one with the curly hair? Mickey Dolans. Mickey Dolans went out drinking with uh, your guy. Yep. Harry Nielsen. Yep. Still <laughs> <Stay the> East. <laughs> And uh, Davy Jones, he fucked. Oh, yeah. And well, they all did. Trust me. Yeah, but not as but Davy Jones. I'm just saying what the major thing was. Oh, he was the teeny bopper idol, Davy Jones. Yeah. And he He's embraced the first his one role. Away, too. And Torque, well, he was always the quiet one because he was the first one to get burnt out on it and just go home. Yeah. Yep. If you want to see why the counterculture loves the monkey so much, uh, you need to get yourself some head. Right, Carl? <laughs> You know, my dad likes some head sometimes. So does my mother. I still wish I could find that CD of mine with the radio ads for that. They're some of the most funniest, subversive shit all the time. Oh, absolutely. Why did you bring your mother here? Why did you bring your dad here? Well, I look at my mom and she doesn't, and she doesn't look like she does it. She doesn't like head that much. So I brought dad here. I thought he could use a little head. <laughs> I love it. I fucking love it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And another one who died this week is if you're into the early 80s infomercials that killed the horror host, you know who Cy Sperling is. The Hair Club for Men. Yes, I Sperling. I grew up with those commercials, and I love those commercials. And and uh, it was actually uh, a takeoff too on uh, UHF. Hi, I'm I'm Sid. You know, I love the company so much I bought it. Right. Yeah. And that was one of size things too. Yeah, size Sterling was really cool. I grew up with him. He's one of the top three snake oil salesmen. He's not number one. Yep. We know who number one will always be. Well, I would say Ron Popeil. Damn right. <laughs> Ron Popeil I'd say Ron Popeil. Yeah. If you've seen a crappy gadget on TV in the 70s, Ron Popeil was there. <laughs> Mr. Microphone. Uh, by the way. By the way, just so uh, you know, his daughter, uh, Lisa, yeah, toured with Zappa for a tour. I'm not yeah. joking. Cool. Well, yeah, do you remember Mr. Microphone? Oh, yeah. 
I remember because someone posted a little bit from the cartoon, from the commercial where it had the guy hook up Mr. Microphone to his call radio and call out the girls. Hey, good looking. We'll be back to pick you up later. <laughs> and when you got one, here's how it sounded. <laughs> Trust me, I know about those, okay? We had a music store during that time, and people bought them and tried to get them fixed for us. I was like, no fucking way are we doing that. Am am I right? That's about the quality of sound you got from those things? Yep, you're absolutely right. (laughs) But his greatest invention, and actually pretty freaking cool, was the pocket fisherman. Oh, Absolutely. He was even in the nineties. He was selling uh, grills, uh, food dehydrators. If there was a buck to be made, Rompopil was there, and so was Cy. But Cy Sperling wrote out the whole hair replacement thing. Mhm. Yep. But for some reason, us guys think bald head means our dicks don't work. And then us white guys seen the blacks with bald head, and they're like, hey, they getting laid. They ain't got no hair. Okay, fine. Yep. We'll go with it. <laughs> yeah, good old Cy Sperling. Has left the building. Yeah. But the number one is, it's rare that, well, in America we had... Boris Karloff is Frankenstein, Babela Lugosi, the Universal Monsters. But they were kiddified as quick mm-hmm. as they could, weren't they, Carl? Absolutely. You know, oh, they were the kids. The kids like this stuff. It, it wasn't funny. until, uh, it wasn't until, uh, uh, you get into particularly Dracula, Christopher Lee, that it changed. But yeah, you're absolutely right. They still try to keyify the Hammer films, if you remember. Because when uh, Rasputin came out from Hammer, they were giving out pink Rasputin beards for girls and blue for boys. Oh, good God. What the hell were they thinking? And do you remember their version of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde where they cut out cut out all the cursing? Yep. Darn you, Jekyll. <sighs> Darn you to heck. <laughs> that was the theatrical God. version, Carl. That's horrible. But in Brazil... There was this guy who they was didn't a do that shit. <laughs> who one night after, in his were eating a very spicy meal, he had a nightmare about he was walking in a graveyard and there was this guy and a traditional bowler and a cape and long fingernails on his left hand who reached out to him. He said, I've been waiting for you. It's time to come home. And he looked at the grave and had his name, and what would that name be, Carl? 
That would be Coffin Joe. Or yeah, Joe of the Grave. And, and Jose Mojica Marin. And he woke yeah. up from that nightmare and wrote a movie. Well, he wrote a treatment for a trilogy. Right. I say treatment is like, as he says, like three or four paragraphs, but he knew where he wanted to right. go. So he got the money and made, what is it, the first one is, and this night I... At midnight I take your soul. Yeah, at midnight I take your soul. And that's where we got Coffin Joe and Jesus. Well, they got it. We didn't get them until the 80s, but we'll get to that. Not only was he the boogeyman... He was saying, fuck you to the authorities, fuck you to the church. (laughs) Fuck you to everyone. Yeah. Seriously. Um, This may be... Go ahead. Well, I I first heard about Coffin' Joe out of the psychotronic film guy by Michael Weldon. And that guide was my Bible for, for the longest time. And it was something I, I really wanted to see, but I could never see it. You know, uh, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't put out uh, from, from uh, Brazil. Uh, you know, it wasn't imported here. You couldn't see it. And I just had this great, you know, yen to see them. And then finally... There's a box set that comes out, and I saw it, and I didn't even have to think. I bought that so fucking quick, it's not even funny. Seriously. I forget what the fourth one was, but the first two were the first two Coffin Joe films, Awakening of the Beast, and I forget what the fourth one was. The fourth one was a documentary. Okay. Uh, and it had it had the special features. It wasn't really a documentary, but it had uh, it it had an interview with him and an interview with uh, uh, the actress from At Midnight. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. And oh, oh, the other title of I was trying to remember is I will turn I will turn your corpse blood red. Right, which was not in my set. That came in as a later set. Yeah. Well, that's just alternate titles for it. You're got the main uh-huh. one, but that was the first horror film that I had ever seen. Well, the earliest horror film that I'd ever seen that if you didn't know your Catholic dogma, it would go so far over your head it ain't even funny. Oh, absolutely! Like when the DVD absolutely. box that come out, they were motherfuck, they were motherfuckers on fathers, mother fathers online going, the freak is this crap, man? Freaking eating meat? What the hell's the war about that? You seen that a lot too, didn't you? 
Yep. Yeah, and, and one of the things about it was was it was a really nasty toward the church. And what happened is he got in a lot of trouble. Now, Brazil is an extremely Catholic nation. Well, and man, he Latin was... America. Yeah. Well, of course. Of course. You, you know that as well as anyone. But, you know, he got in trouble with the government. Uh, that hurt him doing other... Uh, getting funding and doing other types of films. So much of what he did was very low budget. Um, And the thing about it is there's so many iconic shots, and particularly the first one, which is the one I love the most. Um, There's the woman that's sleeping with all the uh, uh, tarantulas on her. Um, Just really something. And plus, he not only eats meat on Friday, he eats it on okay. Good Friday. Friday. Yeah, that that isn't exactly what you're supposed to do. <laughs> yeah. And of course, he's and attacking the all the dogs. The guy's talk, talking shit to him. Mm-hmm. And he takes the bottle and breaks it and just cuts his fingers off with the bottle. That's one of the first instances of extreme on-screen gore and mutilation violence. Oh, absolutely. He crossed so many boundaries. And that's why that that's why he's important. Um, and plus, to be honest, take a look at his films and take a look at the cinematography. That's fucking amazing you know the black and white and then we haven't even gotten into the second film and his vision of hell which is just amazing to say the least well vision yeah and that one shot we're going back to the scene again leads to my favorite shot in that whole movie which is the holy friday possession that shows uh the priest and everybody holding the crosses Walking out of this mist. Right. Yeah. It, it's amazing. The movie is anti-Catholic, but it holds the symbols reverent. <laughs> Absolutely. And someone asked Absolutely. him if that was hypocritical, and he said yes. <laughs> oh, it was very political. No, hippo. Oh, okay. Got it. He's basically saying everyone is hypocritical. They like to say, I don't go to church, screw the church. But if you see someone burn a flag, desecrate a cross, they'll be the first one to get offended and angry. Right. Absolutely. You know, he called out hypocrisy hypocrisy of the church, of people, uh, and, 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 of course, the other thing, the thing that always drug his character down and defeated him was his treatment of women. Well, he okay. was the purity of his bloodline. Right. 
Yeah, but but it's it's more that 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 really was his downfall, and he he said later that was absolutely uh, uh, a dig at how patriarchal the system was in Brazil. Yeah, you need to be a pure blood. But yeah, this first film is great. I love how it begins with the witch. Yeah. And what happened that he didn't expect is that he stopped, he went from being the boogeyman into the boogeyman of Brazil. Loved by kids and parents. If you don't go to bed and behave, Vidi Kayaxo will come and get you, little boy. Wonderful. Actually, it is. It, I'm not joking. It is wonderful. Yeah. And his second film continues it, and it has his first color scene shot, and that's only because he only had one, he was only able to get his hands on one reel of color film, and that's not a budget thing. That's how shitty the Brazilian film industry was. Well, you know what? He only had one color reel, but he saved it for the best sequence ever. And that's his vision of hell. And if you think hell is a burning fire, not in this case, it's frozen. It's a frozen hell. Yeah. It's also the first film out of Brazil that had full frontal female nudity. And that sequence. And if you really look in the Bible, hell is more described as a frozen place away from, or as he put it, a place with no love, no light, no warmth, no heart. Yep. And it's very, very good. Good is the first one. I would recommend getting the Synapse box, the Synapse uh, DVD set of the first film. Which is that Midnight I Take Your Soul. Yeah, Midnight I Take Your Soul. and the Well, the first two Coffin Joe films and Awakening of the Beast. Mm-hmm. We'll never get those on Blu-ray because... Uh, Oh, the shittiness of the Brazilian film industry. Most of his stuff is lost. Either they just don't know where the fuck they are, or the humidity in Brazil destroyed the film. Right. And he went on to do a comic book series, which... Well, he did a TV show, The Nightmarish World of Coffin Joe which they recorded over because videotape was expensive back then. Don't exist. Yep. And the best stories of it, he took and put in his comic book. If you got the Fantomas series... Which I did, by the way. Movies ...come with one of the comic books. Untranslated. And they were wonderful. 
wonderful artwork, just just really cool as hell. Yeah. And something weird put out Hellish Flesh, which is another one of his that isn't good enough quality to release on the DVD, but it was good enough for DVD-R just because they wanted to get it out there. Right. And then he did a second TV show, which was recorded over and don't exist anymore. If you look oh, at his shit. IMDB and his uh, Wikipedia, that's just like just scratch chicken scratch compared to all the sh that he did. There's none of his uh, adult films are on there. His adult films aren't on IMDb either. I checked. No. Neither are the two Finnis Homus films, are they? Finnis no. Homus and The End of Man. Nope. Finnis Homus is him going completely opposite. He basically played the devil as Joseph the Grave or Zeta Kaxo. And then he switched over to Finnis Homus where he played Jesus. <laughs> and the story is that is that he leaves his asylum in the first film because he's bored, performs miracles, and then gets bored of all the love and adulation and goes back to the insane asylum. <laughs> In the second film is that the funding for his beloved insane asylum is running out of money, so he has to go into the real world to make money to save his beloved insane asylum. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> he was going to do a third film, which was uh, Finnis Homus versus Coffin Joe, but... Never got that done. No, he never got his third film, but he was... Coffin Joe was in almost all of his films. There is a, a strange world of Coffin Joe, which is a clip movie. Mm-hmm. Awakening of the Beast, which is about it's not Coffin Joe. and see visions of Coffin Joe after seeing weird shit. Yeah, I mean, but but he doesn't play Coffin Joe in that one. Yeah, he does. He plays. At the end of the movie, uh, when they're in their own hell sequence in the movie. Oh, okay. And he plays himself in the movie, too. Right. That Well, that's what I'm saying. He plays himself. Yeah, he plays both. Throughout roles. most of the movie. And the weird thing is, yes, he actually did become a noted talk show figure, and he had his own talk show. Uh... Where he or Marines would come on TV at least once a year or about four times a year and do these talk shows where he'd answer questions from the audience. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, and he had this little cult that lived with him, too, which was uh, filmmakers and stuff that would work for there and. Learn from it. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah, and other films that aren't mentioned are uh, 24 Hours of, um, of a 
amazing sex, and then 48 hours of amazing sex, the sequel, which were just porn. Yeah. Well, as I said, those are not on his IMDb. I checked. No. I don't know if those are lost or not, because he did maybe... He said maybe 15 or so porn films, but he's not going to say what name he used because, well, why would he? Yeah. You got to put the money in there. And then we got to the where you said Michael Weldon, the Psychotronic Encyclopedia, uh, the horror, Auburn Horror Film Encyclopedia. They're out of date now, but God, they were godsends when they first came out. Oh, you know, the psychotronics just like, <laughs> yeah, seriously. That's where I first learned of the Orin Hall Encyclopedia, the first time I learned of Coffin Joe, uh, Mario Bava, oh, yeah. outside of Black Sabbath. Uh, yep. Some little film by Robert Hardy that they said was like 90% mystery and 5% horror at the end. Yep. That, of course, would be The Wicker Man. Hex. Which we need to do, damn it. Oh, and and, and Psychomania, too. Don't forget Psychomania. Yeah. Hex is the weirdest damn biker film you've ever seen. Oh Isn't seriously. Well they're both weird. They're both they're 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 both uh 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 biker films that are weird. Both Psychomania and Hex. Yeah. If you want an in depth article on it, Hex, uh this month the newest issue, the big issue of uh Wings Chop has an article on it. And I'm amazed Hex doesn't have a bigger cult reputation than it has because it has Gary Busey and this big names in it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, those came out and then there. And then in 1990, Something Weird Video announced that they had bought a big, well, about 92 because uh, Tarantino was doing uh, the tour for uh, Reservoir Dogs. Mm-hmm. Was that about 90? Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, that was about 90, I think. Yeah. And... Uh, Lisa Bertucci and uh, the guy in charge of uh, something weird video, Mike Varney, sent him out to do interviews and all that. And they promoted and uh, they put out about maybe quite a few of his titles that they could. Yep. But when DVD hit, Fantomas snuck in from behind them because uh, who had DVD rights or other video rights, you know, well, it's just going to be VHS. No one thought ahead. Right. Can you imagine something weird video would have put out the Coffin Joe films? 
on DVD. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's when it really started. At least one of my favorite moments, which is he was on the John Stewart show. Oh, we got to go back because we forgot. After, you know the woman with the tarantulas in the first film? Right. It seems like a frozen static shot, doesn't it? Yep. That's because a woman went ape shit and ran off the set and never came back. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. He did his auditions. Imagine Fear Factory as, you remember that show, Fear Factory? Fear Factory. The one where they put bugs and everything on the people. Yeah, Fear Factor. Yeah, Fear Factor. But he did that to his actors before he'd even audition you to be in his movies. Which sounds sadistic, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Unless you see his movies and then you understand. Well, it isn't just his movies. Imagine you're making a no-budget film and you've got, like, enough film just to barely make your freaking movie. Well, not nowadays, but... And then all of a sudden you got an actress or an actor who's said, I'll do this scene, I'll do this scene, and then they'll see what it acquired, and they're like, oh, shit, no, I ain't going to do it. You've wasted your time, and if you film with them, you're fucked. Because even in Piranha, they had to use some footage of Eric Braden that they'd already shot when he was replaced. You remember that? Uh, He was uh, Eric Braden. It was Kevin McCarthy's role, right? Yeah, McCarthy's role. But then he... Uh, him and Dante didn't get along, so he let him go. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he did that on the John Stewart show. He got a couple of guys in the audience to go through his test. And Tarantino was out there. It was one of his first press roles, so he was still that hyper film geek. And he was like dancing, yeah. you know, just hopping all over. Oh my God, it's fucking Calvin Joe. It's fucking Calvin Joe. You remember how bad he was back then when he first hit? Right. Right, bro. So John Stewart said to him, his translator, he said, I apologize uh, for him. We're sorry. He's just so enthusiastic. And Brazilian language is a mixture of Spanish, French, but mostly Portuguese. Right. So he said something, 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 cabron, something, something. And his translator laughed his ass off. And he said, oh, we mm-hmm. got people like him in Brazil. <laughs> John Stewart looked at him and said, I know what cabron means. <laughs> <laughs> and I did too, so I was laughing my ass off. And what does that word mean? Dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't he throw in an Americone, too? 
No, he just called him a dumbass. Because he's nice. probably, because he was so popular in Brazil, he was probably used to that, you know. Yeah. Like a Penny Dreadful posted a post uh, where she was filming one of her show, and uh, another guy at a studio uh, was uh, doing an interview with uh, Brazilian kids for a report, and she went in there and basically said to him. If you don't behave, I'll get Coffin Joe after you. And she said all the kids just start jumping up and down going, Zidi Coxel, Zidi <laughs> So he was a beloved legend over there. Well, in here, too. Yeah, once Fenomos brought over that I, set, once Fenomos brought over that set, he he went... His, you know, his uh, uh, fandom went crazy over here. Seriously. And then he finally got to do his third film, which was, uh, oh, Embodiment of Evil, which I haven't seen. I need to see. Now, that one I didn't see. Now, IFC, I saw some things in the 90s, late 90s, early 2000s on IFC, yeah. uh, where they did, uh, I'm not, I'm pretty sure Embodiment from Evil was not one of them, though. No, it was uh, This this Night I Will Turn Your Corpse Red, uh, The Strange Hostel of Pleasures. Yeah, that was one of them for sure. Yeah, and Awakening of the Beast, nice. Yeah, and if you remember that one Shattered Dreams where Richard Stanley came back, you remember yep. he was in. He had a short in there too. Yep. He did like two or three films before he died of the uh, short films. Uh, let's see, Shattered Dreams, uh, The Profane Exhibit. And I forget what the third one was. Hmm. But I do love that since he's died, you haven't seen many sad posts about his passing, have you? No, not at all. All of us have not been like little all. kids. Oh, Colin Joe, I remember his stuff. Oh, my God, yeah. He was a great... He was, for the genre, he was a great filmmaker. And when he doesn't go outside of it, he is still good. Oh, yeah. He never did get American film, but with all the stories we know about foreign directors coming over to America, that might be a good thing. Yep. And with that, rest in peace, Coffin Joe. Thank you for all of the movies, and thank you. Thank 
thank the movie gods that he got to finish the Coffin Joe story before he died. Absolutely. Uh, and for anyone who's not seen his work, make a point of it. Seriously, oh, the one to you see need, is, if you're a horror fan, you need to see his films. Yeah, and the one to start with is uh, the two, the two, the first two Coffin Joe films. This night I'll possess your corpse, and at midnight I'll take your soul. Right. The one that to not start with—that's easy. Awakening to the Beast. To the Beast, yeah. I love the film, but if you don't know what you're getting into, if you haven't seen his stuff before, it might make you hate his work. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Because it's an extremely what-the-fuck movie. <laughs> Which, you know, if you're into what-the-fuck movies, you might want to start with it because you'll never see anything like it. Yeah. Seriously. Uh, someone asked, a reporter, Snidely, asked him about the Shetland pony scene. He's like, why would you have a woman with a Shetland pony? And Maureen looked at me and said, you son of a bitch. What's wrong with the pony getting laid? Why have you got to get ponies <laughs> getting laid fast? <laughs> exactly. What's wrong with that? Yeah. But if you really want to get anything to, just to pick up, pick up the Synapse set that's out of the Coffin Joe films. Yep. Oh, and guess what? Can, uh, you know MVD, the ones who put out uh, Return of the Swamp Thing? Right. They put out a movie uh, last week. It finally came out. It was an obscure one that obscure animated film that Ringo Starr narrated. Uh oh. Well, you know what? Title. What? Well, let me put it this way: Ringo Starr narrated it. So did uh, uh, so did uh, uh, um, Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, so is this hot? You is this? Have you got that DVD of it? No, no, I have. I have the, uh, the the LP of it, but I don't have have it. In fact, someone just posted on ISF uh, animation an animation gift from it. And uh, just so you know what we're talking about, people, uh, we're talking about Harry Nilsson's The Point. Yeah, it's out there, and it has like an hour. It has like an hours of uh, documentary about how about Harry Nilsson and stuff. Why he made it. And there's also, from what I understand, there's an interview with Fred Wolf, who did the uh, uh, who who did the uh, animation for it. Yeah. And if you younger kids don't know who that is, you would recognize his work from uh, the infamous Tootsie Roll Pop uh, ads with the asshole Al. <laughs> yep. Right? Yep. 
And if you don't know who Harry Nilsson is or the music, hold on, Stephen. I'm just going to sing a little. Well, I don't buy the coconut. He bought it for a dime. His sister had another one. She paid it for the lime. They put the lime in the coconut and call me in the morning. Okay, that's enough. But in all Thank seriousness, you. you defend Son of Dracula. I'm like, fuck you. Harry Nilsson actually put out a good film. But you want to defend that piece of shit, Son of Dracula? <laughs> oh, absolutely. You know why? Not for the movie. For the fucking soundtrack. Soundtrack's one of the best soundtracks ever put down. Seriously. Yeah, but the songs were written before the movie, except for a couple. <laughs> yeah, but but even so, man. It, uh, even so. Uh, plus also the stories of it. Yeah. You know, don't don't forget the stories of, of all the cocaine abuse and everything and how insane that thing was. But the point is another another example of unique animation from the 70s that weren't adult, weren't kids. And we were thankful for that. Absolutely. I would put the point up there with uh, Fantastic Planet, uh... What was that art one that was just nothing but symphonic music? Allegro non topo. Yep. Wizards. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think Wizards is a little better, but <laughs> nonetheless. I'm talking about just animated movies that are adult. Oh, yeah. But not for, you know, not adult, not for kids. You know, kids could watch it and enjoy it, you know. Right. And none of those films that we mentioned were rated R. Nope. Hell, I think there are rated animated films of the 70s were the exception, not the rule. No, they were the exception. There's only one that I know that came in that period, the midnight movie period, that wasn't Ralph Bakshi. Okay. Heavy metal. Right. Well, there's also Shame of the Jungle, too. Yeah, but that was like, I yeah. think, 80, 83. I, well, early 80s, maybe. But, but it, it, it wasn't released here until the early 80s. Mid-80s, let's put it that way. It was made well, it several years before that. Well, it was released in the mid-80s because of the vocal cast. Right. I mean, for a comedy lover of the 80s sketch comedies, it's like a wank fest. Oh, yeah. Gilda Radner, Bill Murray, Bob Belushi, uh, John Candy. Yep. What happened was, is when they got sent over here, uh, they just hired the SCTV guys and said, okay, make us up a story. And they did. And there's one, you remember the scene with it, the penises walking and stuff? Yep. There's an improvisation where John Belushi says, you know what, we're just a bunch of dicks. And then Bill Murray goes, yeah, what's new? 
But, yeah, the point came out this week. I know Carl is probably excited about that. Oh, without a fucking doubt. You mean it's out and it's cheap? The DVD goes for about 60 to 70 Right. But, yeah, yeah. another thing that happened this week is last night, uh, who was playing the Red Lease? Who was playing what? The Toronto Maple Leafs last night. Oh, oh, I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I'll, um, uh, hold on. I can find that out. Give me a second, okay. okay? This here is one of the greatest sports stories and probably the greatest hockey story ever. <laughs> right? Yep. <laughs> yep, I would agree. Especially if you don't like the Maple Leafs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would agree with that. But what happened agree with is that. the Maple Leafs hurt the team's first goalie. And then a little bit later in the game, they injured the second goalie. So that team either had to get a goalie in or they had forfeit the game. So what did they do? They got the they got a forty two year old Samboni operator to Raider. put on. <laughs> it's wonderful. And he took and he basically won the game for the other guys and basically schooled the Rad, the Radley. It's so beautiful. Is it me? Do you want to put on a? The Goon song by uh, Warren Zevon right now. Well, either that or the hockey, the hockey song by Loudon Wainwright. <laughs> yeah. Either or. Either or. Maple, I feel sorry because the guy worked for the Maple Leafs. I keep wondering if they're gonna fire his ass today. <laughs> Uh, the Zamboni driver, you, come up to my office. Yes. You remember that shit you did last night? Yeah, I did good. No, you didn't. What do you mean? You made us look like assholes. But, but, oh, we're going to have to fire your ass right now. Oh, fuck you. (laughs) Well, I tell you what, I can't tell you who played the Maple Leafs last night, but nonetheless... It's cool as hell. Seriously. And the grin on the guy's face in the picture they showed, that just says it all. Oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. Does that go up there with the Who story? Yeah, yeah, it's up there. And for those that don't know it, well, I'll let Carl tell because he's a music guy. No, you go ahead, because I'm not, there's too many stories. I'm not sure which one you're talking about. What happened is, before a show, uh, Keith Moon took a handful of horse tranquilizers, and in the middle of a song, passed out on fucking stage. They did a documentary movie about this about a couple years ago, Carl. I'm amazed you don't remember it. 
So they asked. Well, right now, I'm not remembering a whole hell of a lot. Uh, there's a lot going on right now. But he said, does anybody out here in the audience know how to play drums? And this one guy said, yeah, I do. Well, get up on stage. You're in the who for now. So he played with them for about an hour until they sobered up Keith Moon, and then Moon come <laughs> out and finished the set. Yep. That would be... Carl's wet dream would be like Zappa would be playing, then all of a sudden his organist fell over, and then Zappa calls out. No, the I'd run for the room screaming play. if it was Zappa. Uh, no, no, yeah, I'd no. Like, <laughs> you'd be like, hey, does anybody out there know how to play an organ? Carl would be no! like, no, oh, I'll <laughs> God, you'd be impossible to live with. <laughs> Yeah, I'd be too too afraid to play for Zappa, to be oh, very okay. honest. You'd be up there playing in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah, and you'd probably rip me a new asshole in like 10 seconds. And you'd love it. <laughs> Actually, you know what? You're right. <laughs> <laughs> Dwight Yoakam said he knew this uh, roadie, and he said his biggest story was... Uh, that one night I was standing around and Johnny Cash went by and hit me on the shoulder and told me to go fuck myself. Okay. He said that was his proudest moment of being a roadie. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Like I said, it's been a weird week, and to get my medical update, well, I gotta wait till June to see the stomach doctor unless I do something, which I'm trying to do. I'm at the point where it's like pissing in the wind, and the wind ain't blowing, but I still gotta piss. Yeah. Yeah, the prayers, man. I know you're not not feeling well, and and I know there are problems, and the insurance is fucking you over, so. Man, we just want you to get better, Stephen. Seriously. I will. I will, just to fuck the... Just to piss off certain people that we both know. Yeah, okay. That works. That works. That's motivation. That's fucking motivation. And unlike usual, me and Carl both seen a new movie this week, and they were both limited release. Well, I seen it on VOD. Okay. Well, why don't you go first? Well, Joe Bagos had two films come out last year. Bliss, which is uh, a vampire film, which I haven't seen, but I need to. I seen his first film, Almost Human, and it's one of those artier horror films. It's not that good. Not that good. So, when Bliss and this other film, VFW, came to the Nocturne Horror Fest, which I missed because of bullshit. I was like, oh, Bliss, that might be good. What's this VSW about? Martin Crow, uh, Fred the Hammer Williamson, uh, William Ooh. Sandler <laughs> in a bar, fighting punks, trying to break in. Oh, shit. That sounds decent. 
Yep. And then I watched that it. That sounds and good. What? That sounds good. Sounds like it's sold on Precinct 13. Yeah. It. Oh, it is. In the first minute, it has like the. It has like month, date, month, wait, year, month, hour, minute. <laughs> The whole setup is is that these drug dealers are trying to get away from this drug because the drug is turning their people into, like, psychos, and they're trying to sell this big stash to get one final payday so they can get the fuck out. But because they're dicks, they cause this one girl to kill herself. So the next day her sister finds out and steals the drug for her, and then she runs into the VFW, which is right next door to him. Oh, and the drug dealer's hideout is a multiplex. Oh, cool. So I like she that. runs into the VFW, and those guys in there, because they're veterans, decide that they're going to protect her, and ass-kicking mm-hmm. ensues. And who else is in that? You told me George Wendt is in this movie? Yeah, George Wendt, David Patrick Kelly. Oh, fuck, yeah. If you don't know who he is, he was Luther in the Warriors. Warriors, come out to play. Yeah, this is a bare-bones, no-bullshit, 80s-style action film. No filler, 90 minutes. Just, well, let's just say the final act involves Fred the Hammer Williamson getting stoned off of these drugs and grabbing a machete and fighting punks with it. <laughs> nice. And William Sandler running around with a concrete cutter killing punks. <laughs> nice. And it has the blind guy from uh, Don't Speak. He's like the head of the bar, and he's like carrying around an axe, killing motherfuckers through most of the movie. <laughs> nice. It is just fun, fun. It's not a movie that any of us would put on their on their top ten, but it's a movie we just pop. We're gonna pop in and watch all the goddamn time. Oh fuck yeah! <laughs> yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, the the no. film last year I felt like was like you were telling me about the HW is uh the FW is um Crawl. Crawl was one of those movies that was the perfect it was ninety minutes. There was there was no filler. It did what it what wanted to do and it did it really economically and it did it really well. So yeah, it's that yeah. type of movie. Which is great. Yeah. It's I wish I could say the is, same thing about the movie I saw. <laughs> uh, I wish you could say that. But he got to see the so, latest Hammer film called The Lodge. I went to the VFW, he went to The Lodge. Who or which one of us got off the better? You did. <laughs> okay. So, basically The Lodge, the setup is this. Okay, it starts out, and a woman is is getting ready, and she's crying, and she takes her kids, the 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 this, and, uh, and you find out that she's uh, 
divorce, you know, or in the midst of a separation divorce, and he asked for a divorce. And she comes back home, and in the best moment of the whole film, she blows her head off. Now, it go, uh, you find out during the film, and this is just a setup, that the husband is a psychologist who has fallen in love with one of his patients who uh, is a young woman who survived a cult when she was 12, a uh, religious cult, and everybody else committed suicide. And so, okay, given that, that's sketchy to begin with. Then he, he basically gets his, his kids who absolutely hate her because they, you know, they blame her and him for, for their mother's death, which is quite understandable. And um, then he thinks it's a good idea to have them in this mountain lodge. Uh, and then he leaves and leaves them all alone. And, you know, they're, uh, who in their right mind, even when the kids say they don't want to do this, would do that. So the whole thing... manufactured Hollywood movie. Right. And it makes no sense. You know, this guy is a psychologist and he doesn't get it with his own kids? No fucking way. Okay, we're about to get the territory now. Yeah, everything is destroyed as far as I'm concerned. You know, the, the (laughs) the whole idea of any believability is gone. Yeah. And so it's unfortunate uh, because there's some good uh, creepy stuff that goes on. But basically what, you know, I'm not giving anything away. The kids are gaslighting her. And, 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 and you know that they're gaslighting her because that makes no, uh, you know, no pretense about trying to hide it, which I, I don't get either. You know, it just, it, it didn't work for me. It didn't work. It's not that it was horribly bad, but it didn't work. It just has stupid moments and the stupid moments drag it down. And sadly, this is a subgenre. Let's take people that truly fucking hate each other, like Lar Frontiers, Antichrist, and others, and put them in an isolated place where they have nothing to do but hate each other and even fucking more. Yeah, really. Really. And it's creepy kids, too. And the kids, I thought, actually, the the actors did rather well. Yeah. Uh, the lead woman, I wasn't that impressed with. Yeah. I think uh, Wes Craven said it the best, and he's just referring it to the dream uh, sequences and that. He says, when you take an outlandish premise, the premise needs to be tighter than a virgin's asshole, or else the whole thing will fall apart. Right. And that's exactly what happened. And I could have, and like I told you last night, today, I could have saved, a writer could have saved this movie at just one tiny angle. Okay. Have the ghost have either the ghost of the mother or the idea that the ghost of the mother is prompting the kids to do it. Right. 
could do, I mean, just think of how many branches that opens right there. Are they yeah. doing this for their own free will, or is their mother leading them into it? Are they really doing it today? You know. Yeah. Trust me, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't work. It's unfortunate. Yeah. And I've read uh, spoiler of it, and the ending just pissed me off. <laughs> oh. If I was there next to you, I'd be yelling at the screen when it was turning black. Oh, fuck you! Fuck you! <laughs> fuck you! <laughs> yeah, then I, I tell you what, the audience, and there was a good number of people there. i got to give them credit for that. But the audience wasn't that impressed, trust me. Yeah. But the one that got released wide is another, is the sequel to The Boy. And it's about a possessed doll that possesses the people. We got another possessed doll movie. Yeah, that's a wonderful thing. Stay home on VOD. Watch, uh, let's see, there's Trip that's out that looks good. It's about a guy who's an entire butthole, but he goes out and takes these drugs. And he wakes up the next morning, and he has to live in this new trippy reality that he's in, but also find this woman he met last night and try to get his wallet back while in a drug store okay. state. That sounds like fun. Oh, yeah. by the way, and I forgot to say something to you. What? Uh, if I can just go back for a second. Um, so, you know what the best thing about the movie was? Yesterday, it or Saturday, is. actually, uh, was um, that I saw a trailer. Uh-huh. The trailer looks freaking awesome, and it's right up my alley. What? It's called Saint Maud. Have you heard about oh, this? Yeah, 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 yeah. Holy oh, was... shit, that looks good. Even if the movie sucks, the girl that's playing Bob looks like she's going to tear that ass up. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt. It looks really good. Yeah. And the two best other unique ones that you can see on VOD is one VFW. And the first is one that amused me when Carl brought it up on uh, Friday, Thursday, because that's one I've been wanting to see, too. And that is Elijah Wood in Come to Daddy. Okay. Actually, that's going to be available this uh, Thursday in New York. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to go see it. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go see. And you know what? It's not Elijah Wood that I'm interested in. And you damn well know that. Steve McCaddy. Okay. Right. It's our boy, man. Yeah. It's our boy. It's it's uh, Stephen McCaddy. If you don't know who Stephen McCaddy is, uh, he's all over the place. But uh, the one movie I would absolutely positively recommend of his is Pontypool. Without a fucking doubt. <laughs> yeah. But the 
plot of that is is this privileged this privileged snot nosed little brat played by uh, Elijah, Wood, Elijah Wood gets a letter from his father. And he hasn't seen his father in like 20 or 30 years, asking him to come to his house and visit him. And then shit gets weird. <laughs> yep. And we're okay with that. I'm okay with weird from from, from my caddy. Yeah. But yeah, there's interesting stuff that's out there, and you don't have to go see crap like The Boy or Fantasy Island. (laughs) As a matter of fact, go watch the Fantasy Island pilot movie. Yeah. But yeah. Sorry, Carl. I did good this week. Sorry that you got stuck with that. But then I see what. Oh, it happens. Hey, listen. That's part of the. That's part of the deal. Sometimes there's crappy movies you got to get through. It's okay. Yeah, but I'm okay with that. I looked at what else you had to choose from, and uh, you was fucked. You was caught between Achilles and the Caius, as they say. Well, the the one I should, probably should have seen is Seaberg, which is uh, a uh, uh, new uh, biography of uh, Jean Seaberg and what happened to her. Yeah. But I yeah, did get to hang out in. in uh, uh, I did get to hang out in um, Times Square, which kind of odd. <laughs> what was it like going back there again? It was, it's such, it's such a goddamn uh, uh, tourist trap. It's not even funny. Seriously. Seriously. It's just like, it's, it's bad. Now, I didn't have this reaction like the last time I was there, which was 10 years ago or something like that. Uh, and you know what? It is possible to live in New York City and never go to fucking Times Square. So just trust me on that. <laughs> yeah. And now for the second part of our show, which, well, in 1975 or 76, uh, Death Wish came out. Yep. And that started its own little genre, which was the urban vigilante. Yep. Which will be the little guy who gets beaten down, so he goes and gets a gun and kills a lot of bad motherfuckers. And those always fell into two films, which I always find was interesting. Which side of the coin did you like better? The one where the vigilantes kill all the motherfuckers and get away with it? Or the ones where the vigilantes killed the bad guys, but in the end they got busted and put to jail because they killed a lot of motherfuckers. Well, it, it's funny how that works. Uh, I like the more—I guess I like the more realistic ones, or if they're completely batshit crazy, it's like, okay, how can you not love? 
Death Wish 3. Seriously. If you don't love Death Wish 3, something is wrong with you. But then again, I love... Uh, I, I love uh, Death Sentence, too. But, yeah, I mean, it really did... I'm amazed how slow it started. I mean, it did start with Death Wish, but then you got films... Uh, well, down south, we didn't use the Death Wish template. We used more Walking Tall which with the real hero. Right. The most batshit insane to come out of the southern one, has you ever heard of Vigilante Force? Yeah, I've heard, oh, is that the one with Ginty? No, that's the one with Jan Michael Vincent and Chris Christopherson. Oh, okay. This movie is so fucking violent that we get an ass whipping, a shooting, a barroom fight within the first fucking two minutes of the movie. Nice. Yeah, the movie opens with motherfuckers running out of a bank and just shooting up everybody. And then we go to a fight in the middle of the street, and then we go into a ballroom fight. What it is is Chris Christopherson is called back into town because it's such an outlaw town because of the oil fields that they bring him in as a sheriff, and he turns out to be more evil than the bad guys. And Jan Michael Vincent plays his brother, who has to end up fighting him, at the end of the movie. It's just over the fucking top. Nice. <laughs> I mean, it's just one of those, it's like, what the fuck? It's one of those, if some, if a Godzilla would have walked in and punched Chris Christopherson in the jaw, the movie is so over the top, you wouldn't be shocked. Right. And don't forget... The one that the new, I'm amazed there wasn't much many New York ones in the seventies. Only ones I could think of in seventy five to eighty New York ones were Death Abel Wish. Ferrara and Death Wish. Yeah. Agreed. Miss forty five. Oh yeah, definitely Miss Forty Five. And even that one, even though it showed how horribly she was victimized. Abel didn't sugarcoat her. He didn't make her heroic. No. It's like, yeah, what happened to her is wrong, but she grabbed a 45 and just started killing muggers for no damn reason. Yep. And it did bring up one of the biggest cliches, which I always thought was bullshit in these movies. What? You got the guy, at least Death Wish had one gun crane scene. You had the guy, right. the hero, the heroine, who didn't know how to shoot until they were raped or violated or everything broke. And then they turned out to be goddamn John Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> how the hell do you learn how to shoot that quick? I don't what? know. I don't know. I, mean, I have no clue. Have you seen they actually, like they actually had a scene in that in the lodge too. Yeah. Where where he gives her a gun because he's going to leave, and, and and she like shoots everything in sight like perfect. You know what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. 
Miss Forty Five was definitely a must see. It's not. It's a vigilante film, but it's damn sure a horror film. Agreed. For what she does and what happens to her, that part of me wonders if uh, the people in charge of the gentrification of New York City use movies like these to really spread its agenda. I wouldn't be surprised about that at all. W- would well, not, not be April, surprised April, like, whatsoever. Yeah. Abel was just being honest about how bad of a shithole New York was. Yeah. Yep. It wasn't until about 80 or 81 when the Exterminator came. No, 80, 81 was a big time because you had the Exterminator, uh, Vigilante. Man, I'll I tell you, I just saw Vigilante a couple weeks ago, man. What a great fucking film. Seriously. Oh, yeah. Listening to man. Vigilante yep. and the Exterminator are both vicious as hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are, without a doubt. I mean, Vigilante, you even have uh, the Vigilante's bot led by Fred Hammer Williamson as psychos. Yeah. And, of course, Vigilante has Robert Foster, so Carl's like, it's good. Robert Forster, absolutely. Again, a man that can do no wrong in my book. Never had a bad performance, even in some of the worst movies you've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. And of course, Joe Spinell is the sleazy lawyer. Oh God. You know, you know. I, I was telling you the cast of that. You know, uh, uh, the, yeah, Spinell is the lawyer. Great man. And another movie I just saw was uh, what was what's the name of that one? Because Spinell was also in that one, uh, along with Bruce Abbott and, and of course my gal uh, Susan Tyrell as the uh, as the mayor. The the um, it's the one where the woman is 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 made into a, a robot. It's sort of a Terminator. Uh, Take off? Oh yeah, I forget what that was. That was Roger Corman's attempt to do a comic book movie. Yeah, and it's it's hysterically funny. It's yeah, so bad and it's so wonderful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you were like, "Oh, this is the worst piece of shit ever." I'm like, "No, it wasn't." What? Robot Ninja? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, but I like robot ninjas. Give me give give me uh Robocop three any day of the fucking week, man. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course, to a certain degree, but nonetheless. Well, yeah, that that one it's weird. It's like Nicole Eggert. That one's definitely a Robocop net knockoff. Oh yeah. It is. And it has Richard Grieco with a very bad Mexican accent. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? It has fucking Susan Tyrell. And I, I 
everyone knows who who's listened to us over the years. You know yeah. what a hard on I have for her, but man, she she just kills it in this movie. Yeah. She's wonderful. But you can't live without Richard Grieco's laugh. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. And the Exterminator was one of the few vigilante films early eighties to get an X rating, but they had to cut it back. Oh well. You didn't like the Exterminator that much, did you? Well, that one was too no, sleepy no, for you, wasn't it? Which one is that? Is that? That's not the one Robert I was Ginn- talking about. The Go ahead. Robert Ginty with the flamethrower. Yeah, Ginty. No, I did like that one. I thought that was the Ginty one. Yeah. Yeah. And it was the debut of an actor that me and you both loved that didn't get the chances they deserved. Steve James? Steve James, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Glickenhouse said originally in his script, Steve James was supposed to be the hero, but then his producer says, nah, we want a white guy as the hero. Oh, fuck that. Because if you really do watch the first 10 or 15 minutes before he was forced to change, you could tell that Steve James was supposed to be the badass in that, couldn't you? Mm-hmm. But still, I mean, it is nasty, dirty, grimy, and sleazy. Oh, yeah, which is a wonderful thing. Yeah. There it's is the nothing first wrong movie with I that. learned what the term chicken hawk meant. <laughs> oh, God. Don't you dare <laughs> mention that fucking movie. No, I'm serious. In the Terminator, that fat guy is like... I... Yeah, I know what you're you talking know. about. Yeah, this... And Exterminator is great up until the last ten minutes. Then it gets goofy as fuck. <laughs> What happens was is Ginty is doing such a good job at killing the crime that the President of the United States sends in a CIA assassin to shoot him because he's making the President look bad in the polls. <laughs> yep. Okay. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> Yeah, okay. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. And, I, and then here comes the one that I vote, vote as this. Yeah, this is the sleaziest, grimiest, nastiest. One of the few films that Carl won't watch uncut. Vigilante film of the 80s. Okay. Death Wish 2. Oh, I watch it. It's so fucking sleepy, though. Well, I don't uncut know if I've ever is, seen the uncut. I've watched the uncut. Uncut is one inch away from a porn. Uh, <laughs> listen, how many movies have I watched that are one inch away from a porn and I went over the line and became porn? Give me a fucking break. Yeah. 
I'm serious. During the rape scene with the maid, you can actually see the maid's right. coochie. Okay. It, it is a nat. It's one of that. I like it, but it's a nasty, vile film. Out of all of the Death Wish films, it may not be the worst, but it is the sleaziest. And that's saying a lot, isn't it? Yes, it is. Now, if you want to get personally, of of all those, I I like. I, I my favorite is three. Of of the sleazy ones, my favorite is definitely three. That's because it's goofy as hell. That's why it's good. That's where the guy came on the set. He'd grown a mohawk from the road because of the script, and they told him. Oh, we don't want no punks in this movie. So he shaved and gave himself a reverse mohawk and painted a red strip across his head. (laughs) Yep. That's why he's got that weird reverse mohawk with a red paint stripe down his head. (laughs) That's wonderful. Which is worse, four or five? I think... uh... I actually think four is. What do you think? I think it's four close. is because at least five's got the scene where uh, Danny Trejo gets blown up with a champagne bottle. Exactly. Thank you. And I was thinking that cannolis. exactly. <laughs> and the poison cannolis. Yeah. Yeah, I'm okay with that. It's weird because he doesn't actually kill anybody face-to-face because he's too old. Four is just boring. Yeah, it's not good. Four is not good. But after Death Wish 2 was a hit, I mean, the damn thing really came off the rails. You had uh, uh, Wings Hauser in Excessive Force, where he plays a cop who goes out to L.A. to event, to visit his ex-wife, and it turns out there's a serial killer there, so he has to go out and uh, vigilante him to death. Mm-hmm. Uh, over the Edge with Ro- with uh, Robert Forster, which you were disappointed because with the cast it had, it wasn't better than it was. Right, exactly. You would expect I- a movie agreed. with Joe Spinell as the bad guy and uh, Forster as the good guy to be a hell of a lot better than it was. Right. Exactly. And then there's the ladies' club, which has the weirdest, goofiest, rapist, and exploitation history. Okay. He makes them sing jingle bells as he rapes them. Oh, lovely. It's even stupider than it sounds. Just imagine you're watching a nasty assault scene. All of a sudden, jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle all the way. 
<laughs> Jesus. Good God. Yeah, yeah that one they, I have not seen. It's one of those where, like, they tried to out-sleaze. This is when they started to try to out-sleaze each other. And you would get crap like bullies, uh, hunter's blood, bullies. <laughs> Only thing good about I don't the movie even is know these fucking movies, man. What? I don't know them. I don't know Hunter. these movies. Hunter's blood's fucking good. It has, uh, uh, what's his name from Shocker? And, uh, Boo Gulligan. Miss Yeah, Miss Pelagi's in it. Uh, Boo Gulliger. Hunter's Blood's actually a pretty decent one. Okay, well, that's cool. I mean, once you get on VHS, you get all sorts of goofy revenge films. Oh, and then there's my favorite Shokasugi film, Pray for Death. Oh, now that is friggin' awesome. That one if I know. If you can get it uncut, if you get the uncut version, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't surprise me. That does yeah, not surprise me. you could tell me. that one was cut to hell when you watched it, even though it is still good, right? Right. In the uncut version, he becomes like a Michael Myers... Shokasugi comes like a Michael Myers-style killer. At the end of the movie, he uh, has the killer tied to a buzzsaw with his hands nailed to, to by a big log, which the killer has a the tree limb sticking out through his chest, and he's just there going, kill me, kill me. And then Shokasugi cuts his throat and then turns on the bus song and cuts him in half. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> that one's a good one if you haven't seen it. And Errol's got it out and it's pretty cheap. Nice. But then, what's weird about the Vigilante film is that it did cross over into the art film sector, too. Okay. Uh, The Virgin Spring? Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, and, of course, don't, don't forget to... Uh, don't don't forget, of course, the last house on the left, which is basically a, it's a semi remake reimagining of the Virgin Spring. Yeah. Uh, the Duelist. That's yep. more revenge film. Not a vigilante. <laughs> no, but a revenge film. But, yeah, I mean, in the 80s, you would get all sorts. I mean, it's like there's a new one out on there. There was the weirdest vigilante film. One of the weirder ones is the one that Larry Cohen did to Ambulance. Oh, man, I love that movie. Oh, I didn't say it was bad. I love it. Eric Braden's fucking great in it. Red Button's good. Uh, James Earl Red Jones. Button's is just fucking awesome in that movie. Seriously. Eric Roberts. Yep. 
How has that film not got a bigger cult? And it, is it ranked up there with the, It's Alive and uh, the other top-tier cult films? People film don't know it. People don't know it. <coughs> you know, they, they don't know it. That's why. Well, when it hit VHS, they sold it as a killer ambulance movie. Right. Which, you know, I mean, I can understand that, but that's not exactly what it is. No. I was happily disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> Does that make any sense? Oh, that makes exact hey. sense. Hey, this movie is what I thought it was. Yes. <laughs> and isn't that nice? Yeah. Oh, that's always nice. And there's Hit List from Glickenhaus, which has one of the most amazing fucking posters ever. Okay. Uh, Lance Henderson driving a muscle car doing 80. You can tell by the speed lines. With Jan Michael Vincent hanging, hanging onto the front bumper. Oh! And then there's your film, which starts out as a routine cop film, but then, why is it that? That was a big cliche in the 80s, wasn't it? The cops on the case. But he gets suspended from the forest, so he must take the law in his own hands. Which one is this you're talking about? Uh, the one I mentioned is Relentless. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, okay. That whole series is fucking great, okay? Yeah, if you haven't seen those, then fuck you. You need to see those. Those are good. You know, and again, we're not talking any movie that's going to win an Oscar, but that's not what we're talking about here. These are just great little action, B-action films. I don't know if it's released on the big screen. I think... uh... What's his name who played the killer in the first Relentless? Judd, Judd Nelson might have come close to getting a nod or at least got a Golden Globe nomination. No, I don't think so. I I, I don't think so. Yeah, I really don't think so. that good. Well, I'm not saying they weren't. There's no way they were getting the fucking... No. Pia no, Zadora no won a Golden Globe, motherfucker. Okay, that's true. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay, never mind. But yeah, most of the vigilante films were made for your uh, basic uh, action movie crowd. They weren't there to win Oscars or anything like that. Nope, they weren't. Not by a long shot. Oh, I just thought of another art film, vigilante movie, which is real great, and that's The Searchers. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, and, what? Uh, what? Well, let me let me come with the one. What about the Cowboys? Yeah, that one starts out as a western, and then it becomes a vigilante movie. Mm. The Oxbell incident. Yeah. That may be the artiest. Of the vigilante films. Wouldn't you say? 
It's close. In the way that it's told and in the way it's presented, there's no yep. action beats in that whole movie. Carl? Yeah, I'm here. I'm Are you seriously uh, on the octopus? Yeah, I mean, again, you're right about that. I haven't really thought about that, to be honest. Well, if you, you know want to get Oscar to the best hardiest vigilante film that's an action film, you're going to have to go to Truffaut's The Bride War Black. Yep. Of course, that gets into the Black Widow, too. Well, they kill her husband, so she kills them. Right, exactly. Well, she does. She does. Well, I guess yeah, she does use knives. Okay, never mind. I I was thinking it was more poison, and sort of like surreptitious type of killing. No, she kills the way she can. What? She kills them in any way she can. Yep. Well, yeah. It just seemed like in Reagan's America, the vigilante who goes out and kills the scum. We gotta, we gotta clean the streets up with the scum. Right. Was that like the theme of the early '80s action films? Oh, absolutely. And 90% of them were set in the city that was New York, but wasn't New York. Wink, wink, wink. Yeah. Generally like Toronto or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, we talked about that, and I'm starting to lose my breath. Hey, but Carl has a very special episode coming up, so... If you want to get the word out about that right now, go for it, Carl. Okay, well, I have not had a good couple of weeks. Uh, and it's not me, but my my sister passed away, and so I'm dealing with that. And that's not the easy thing to do in the world, you know. But then I heard that a very close friend of mine, who is a, a very, very talented musician and just a really sweetheart. She really is. And um, she's been put into hospice and she's younger than I am. Uh, And so I put out a a notice today uh, about we're going to, I'm trying to get together a uh, uh, podcast uh, on punk music specifically for Antonio, my as I lovingly call my cuz. And so uh, hopefully either this Friday or next Friday or sometime in the next week and a half we will have a show. I've reached out to a number of people that I know uh, and uh, we'll be doing that on on Legion, or We might even do it here uh, depending on how it all works out. So uh, I'll keep you informed on that. Well, at the least, I'll just produce the hell out of it. So you got a place to fall, so don't worry about it not happening. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she uh, she deserves it, too. Antonia is such a sweetheart. And when I found out that she was going into hospice, I, I 
I damn near lost it, you know, because I found that out uh, two days after I found out my sister had passed away. So, yeah. yeah. And uh, to answer someone's movie review from this week, why don't we bring back Gone of the Wind? Well, not because it's racist, because it's a three-hour, boring, panderous piece of shit. <laughs> and that was my idea when I thought seeing it as an eight-year-old. Now I gave it a chance well, again. Well, you might want to revisit it just to see if that still holds. Because you are older. I've seen and maybe it about four times as the revisit. It's too long. Well, I didn't say it wasn't too long. I didn't say that. Yeah. I happen to agree with that. But that's the way it is. There were classic movies that we're just we just don't get. Trust me. It is not that I don't get it. I watched it. I'm just thinking if they cut out a lot of uh some of the other just artier shot for shoot sake scenes. Like the scene in the Battle of Atlanta where all the bodies are laid out and it just shows Scarlet standing there for maybe two to three minutes. Uh-huh. You know, I may give Malik shit about holding on a scene too long, but I've never seen him hold on a scene too fucking long. <laughs> nope. See, I think I think you're finally going to come around to Malik and actually consider him no. a really good filmmaker. <laughs> hey, I love I love Badlands and I always will. Mm-hmm. One of the best films about the cult of personality ever. Mm-hmm. Very true. Well, it's got Sissy Spacek and uh, Martin Sheen at their peak during their peak eras. Yep. Anyway, my friend, I am getting tired and I need to get well, some coffee wait. in me. Coming soon on here is we're going to finish what me and Carl jokingly called the Texas Trilogy, uh, two or the Texas Trilogy, which we talked about, which would be uh, Eagle Purnell's uh, classic Last Night at the Alamo, and of course Rod Armitage's Love Note, and this is what we grew up with, Drive In. And we will yep. get around to American Raspberry, I promise you. Oh, we've got to. i got to do the Puerto Rican airline again. i got to get on that Puerto Rican airline. Yeah. And people, don't forget, be nice to each other for fuck's sake. It's an election year. You don't have to be assholes. And that goes for Democrats and Republicans. Oh, without a doubt. That goes out to everyone. And sorry I didn't have this queued up because I haven't been feeling well. Because if I did, I'd be having the song Punk Rock Girl for your for your friend. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll, be, uh, be we'll be pulling out a lot of songs, I'm sure, during that, that particular thing. Yeah, Antonia was a punk rocker, and, and she ran a... Uh, um, she ran a uh, uh, radio uh, show out of Reno 
for years and years on punk rock. So, yeah. Okay. Oh, well, then I got it then. What? Antonius, a punk rocker, Antonius, a punk rocker. <laughs> a punk rocker, yay! All right. <laughs> Okay. All right. Listen, thank you very much, Stephen, for having me on. Really appreciate it. Okay. Peace, love, and just be good to everybody. Just be good to yourselves and be good to everybody, everybody. Good night. Good night. going to do reruns of Killing Eve. That's interesting. Thank you a lot. Look at it.
about back, and I knew one was even safer. Welcome to the all-new Super About Back, an IIHS Top Safety Pick Plus, the highest level of safety there. Saturdays happen. Pain happens. Elite. Elite has proven stronger and longer on pain than Tylenol. When pain happens, Elite is all day strong. Introducing the future of fitness. It's every class you can imagine. Live. Every wireless carrier claims they can save you money, but Spectrum Mobile's online savings calculator tells you exactly how much your family can save by switching. But what if one person uses a ton of data because they have an exciting and vibrant life, and the other person is you? Doesn't matter. Spectrum Mobile lets you mix and match plans to get the most savings across your entire family. So what you're saying is, we're family, not even close. So see how much you can save. Go to SpectrumMobile.com slash save. We're going to start planning our graduate vacation anyhow. If you've been injured in a car crash, on a construction site, or in a slip and fall accident, you need to choose the right law firm. Don't wait. Call eight. Our firm has over 50 experienced lawyers who have helped thousands of injured people get the settlements they deserve. With our no fee promise, you have nothing to lose and everything to gain. It's Call 
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.